Amen. Let's just go to him in prayer right now. You've got a need in your life. You've got a desire in your heart for these camp meetings. Why don't you ask God right now to come minister to your need? Say, Lord, you can come to my pew. You can come and speak to me in a very personal, in a very real way. I want to know you as a living God. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, his hands have went across of this congregation today, lifting up to the almighty God, saying, Jesus, I need you. I pray, God, that you'll move on the behalf of your children. Lord, yes, we're amazed at your love. We're amazed at your grace. We're amazed at your loving kindness and your tender mercy. And that you haven't forgotten us. But you're right here with us. You're right here to be in us to the end of the world. I pray, oh God, as we stand here in this moment, in this time, that your Holy Spirit will move past every bit of darkness and unbelief and cause our faith to rise to the level of the promise that we can receive what we need from you. Lord, oh God, you can hear even every whispered prayer. You understand every need and every desire. Lord, even for those that are watching or looking in from around the world, wherever they'll be, or the archives at a later time, may they know you're the living God and that you are God on their behalf and show yourself real to them because you are living God the same yesterday, today, and forever. We give ourselves to you right now and surrender our lives and our vessels. I surrender myself, Lord, to the Holy Spirit, to the anointing of God now, and step into that role that you've ordained me to be for this moment, as we believe that we're in a foreordained moment and called in this moment, in this time, for this very purpose. In the name of Jesus. And Satan, I put you on notice. From the very beginning of this service, you have no place in God's people. And we're here to resist you and submit ourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee. We expect the freedom bells to ring and for liberty to be felt in the hearts and lives of God's people. As we take authority over every spirit in the name of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Amen and amen. Let's just thank him in advance. Raise your hands to God right now. Amen. Clap your hands. Whatever. Give him praise. Amen. He's the living God. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to let you have your seats for a moment. Amen. We certainly appreciate being here with you. Amen. Love you, Brother Biscoe. Great to be with you again. And um, also all the ministry team here at Bible Way. We're just happy to, to be with you. Brother Tim, Brother John, Brother Brother Tom, God bless you, each one of you. And of course, nice to have be with Brother David Mayer. Amen. He, he speaks the French language. Um, they believe that's the language of heaven. Because when God spoke from heaven, it was in French. So, you know, um, but however, I believe God understands English. 
as well. Amen. And he sent a message to us in English. And so my advice to all the Frenchmen out there is learn English. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's good to be here. Amen. 30 years ago, I was privileged to come to Bible Week camp for my first time and minister. It wasn't here. It was somewhere by the seashore somewhere. I don't know. I, I, but, um, nevertheless, it was 30 years ago. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't slowed down. We hadn't stopped and we ain't going to quit. We're right here to press on and see deliverance in lives of God's people. I thought the Lord would come before now. But, you know, he knew your name was on the Lamb's Book of Life, so I had to wait for you. Amen. But I want you to come in as soon as possible so we can go home. Amen. Amen. We don't have much uh, much more time in this, in this life, in this journey, and uh, so, but we want to give all that we have right now. I've been here um, then, of course, also at various times uh, since then, not every year, of course, but, you know, um, you know, every few years um, as the Lord led and, and then, um, you know, very critical time was 10 years ago when by God's sovereign design, I was here and ministered to the church here before the great purging. As Apostle Paul told uh, to purge out sin and unbelief. And we saw manifestations follow of uh, spirits that rose up against the message. But, but um, you know, the, as I preached then, the mamba snake may have been on your trail and been after you. But God gave a word that will bind that serpent. Amen. And I believe there are people tonight that have freedom in Christ because of that freedom from the death angel that's in the land. And um, then just four years ago, I was here, um, and I preached. Um, one of the sermons I preached was Jesus, the name above all names. And this church with his, with his team uh, helped me get it printed into book form. And now it's been blessed many around the world. I want to thank Brother Matthew Riddell and all the mission team for the burden that they had. And I understand a lot of you young people helped out with that. And I've met those who were witness to and their lives were changed because of that vision. And just to think of that, you know, your name will be associated with theirs throughout eternity. Amen. God bless you. Amen. For your, your work for the Lord. This, um, this year, I, today, I just want to say I'm delighted to have my wife Karen and of course my son Timothy and, uh, his wife Ruth and, Two of my grandchildren, Adriana, who just sang, and Luke, sitting right there on the front. Amen. And I'm really happy to have them. You know, um, I just wanted to take a brief moment and speak about something. You care if I turn and take my coat off? Uh, y'all don't make it Louisiana style here in this tent. So we'll just um, preach Louisiana style. Amen. Um, you know, uh, years ago I preached in an open air building. Uh, we didn't have any, any, um, conveniences there, an outdoor toilet and no, no running water. Uh, six plug, uh, well, one plug in and six light bulbs from the ceiling and, um, we opened all the doors and windows and ate what bugs flew by. <laughs> so we know what it is to preach in a place like this where it gets hot and, 
You know, if I get a little bit um, too comfortable, I'll take my tie off and preach without my tie. One day I was preaching like that, and I'd grab my tie off and sew it on the seat behind me. It went plumb out the window. There's no window out here, but maybe when somebody back here can catch it. But, um, you know, I, I wanted just to speak about something before we go on. I, I wanted to tell you about um, some events that happened right after I was here last. Um, first, I want to speak about um, my grandson, Drew Dexter. He's the son of Bethany and Michael. Some of you will know Michael and Bethany Dexter. And little Drew was not crawling or walking at 12 months old, and it was uh, his yearly checkup, February 2015, and his pediatrician was concerned because he wasn't crawling or or walking, and so she sent him over to the Shriners Children's Hospital for for crippled children for examination. Doctor's report and x-rays showed that his, his hip was undeveloped or underdeveloped. And um, in, um, then in May of uh, 2015, we had our family camp. Brother Ron Spencer was one of the speakers there. It was Saturday night. We had a prayer line. And Bethany put her children to bed in her cabin and was watching them by baby monitor the night of the prayer line. And she came through the prayer line. Brother Ron Spencer told her, said, go get your baby. Said, I just saw him in a vision walking. And she ran and got him, and he was prayed for that night, and we believe for a complete healing. And although shortly thereafter, he would stand a little bit around the furniture with help to be stood there, and, and, and would even lift his little foot up to try to move around just a little, but he couldn't walk or crawl, was very weak, just tottery there at a coffee table or somewhere that we... We put the child, he just could not walk or crawl. Now, in the in August of that same year, I came here and I preached right here in the family camp meeting. It was here that, as I told you, I preached. One of the sermons was Jesus, the name above all names. And um, we flew home from the meetings, and right after that, on August the 10th, 2015, it was a Monday. My wife didn't get up when I got up that morning. And it was unusual, but I simply thought she was tired from the day before Sunday, and I just let her sleep in. And at that time, my daughter Bethany and her family was living with us temporarily while they were building a home. And later that morning, as I had went on down to do chores, we live on a farm, and I had chore time to do, and and my daughter would came down to the barn while I was doing the chores and said, you better come and check on mom. Something's terribly wrong. And I went in to see about her, and she first thought she just had a terrible neck pull that was causing an unbelievable headache in the back of her head, one like that she had never had before. And uh, she thought, well, you know, just take me to a chiropractor and adjust my neck. It's just my neck. And But by late afternoon, there was no improvement. And uh, she couldn't focus her eyes, and her, ble- her vision was blurred, and she completely lost the vision in her left eye, the peripheral vision in her left eye. And realizing something terribly was wrong, I, I took her to the emergency room at a nearby hospital. 
They did a CT scan and diagnosed her with a stroke or brain bleed. The doctor would um, tell one of our brothers that worked at the hospital and use, use this, that it's a brain bleed, very significant, and it's about this big. And um, they, they, we, we, they told her we don't have the facilities or the, uh, what's needed to treat her. She needs to go to the trauma center in Shreveport to the large university hospital. Well, she was rushed by ambulance to that hospital, and I gathered my family together, and we prayed at the hospital. We, uh, you know, I have four godly, believing children and believing spouses. And I told them as we stood there, I said, we're believers, and that's what we do. We believe. And we have been trained for moments just like this, and we will not fear. I said, because fear is not of God, and it won't do us one bit of good to worry or to fear. And just as I said that, it came out of my mouth. It just rolled out of me. And I said, she will be in the ICU room tonight. And tomorrow night, she will be in her own uh, private room there. And the next night, she'll be home in her own bed. And it was exactly as I said, as the Holy Spirit spoke it. Amen. And after coming from the hospital, she she still would have to be helped to the toilet and helped to the shower, you know. And and it was it, this went on for a week or so. And one morning, during the following week, she was in bed and she was depressed. She was blind and lost her per- peripheral vision in her eye and couldn't see out of the side. And when you approached, she couldn't see. She was blind. And, um, and so she was, the doctors had said, well, we can get some special glasses and you'll wear special glasses that'll help. And, you know, maybe, maybe in time it'll, it'll be better. But, um, that following week she was laying in bed and she was depressed and sorry for herself and just wondering about her future. And it was in that moment that she began to change and her thoughts began to change and she began to think about the goodness of God and how wonderful He is. And all of a sudden, the presence of the Lord came down that room and lifted her spirit until a praise went forth from her lips unto God. And at that very moment, her eyesight was healed and her blindness left. God still opens the eyes of the blind. Amen. He can still, he can still heal the brain bleeds. Amen. And we would take her back to the hospital at a later date and they said, we can't find a trace of it. Not one trace of it at all. She would go back to the eye doctor and the eye doctor would look at the MRI and look in her eye and said, marvelous, this is wonderful girl, you're a miracle, only God can do this. But that moment when the Spirit of God came into the room, my daughter Bethany had just walked in the room with the baby, little Drew, 18 months old, never taken a step, could not pull up, could not walk, could not crawl. And set him at the end of the bed. 
And when the Holy Spirit swept over my wife, healed her blindness, it went right down past and over that child. He got up out of the middle of the floor and ran all over the house for his very first time to ever walk. Little Drew would be taken back to Shriner's Hospital and the doctors and x-rays showed a perfectly normal hip for an 18-month-old. God's still God. And Jesus is still the name above all names that at the mention of his name, every demon has to flee. And we are living proof of a living God. Amen. And we're here to proclaim this one that's walking among us tonight. Amen. Truly, it's a resurrected one. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Brother Brandman, who is this Melchizedek, would call out a person who said, the high priest is here. You can touch him. Amen. Called them out, tell them what their situation was, and said, who did they touch? They're 25 yards from me. She touched the high priest. I want you to know in this meeting, there's still a high priest. There's still a throne of mercy. There's still a blood. And he's here to call you back home to himself. Amen. God bless you. Would you stand to read the word with me? We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. We're going to read from the 10th verse. As I prayed about this service today, this is where I felt led to go. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his, his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followeth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together... And took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk. That the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spend, enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of the hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe. And put it on his, on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted, fatted calf, and kill it, 
and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. The scripture that I have just read is one that I tried to preach from when I was just a boy preacher. I was actually, I actually started full time in the ministry at the age of some of you. I was 15 years old. And I would start out full time in the ministry. I start, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was five years old and I've never taken it back. And I began to minister the message. This is where I was born again in the message. This is where what I believed. This is what I've stood for and what I proclaimed. And now that's nearly 50 years ago. It will be in February of next year that it will be 50 years ago that I started preaching full time. But at that, you know, at a young age there and being a young preacher, living in my father's home, my dad's home, um, you know, we we had um, an, an aunt, which was my dad's sister. She was a wayward girl who had godly parents. They were some of the, my grandparents were some of the founding fathers of the Pentecostal movement, the Jesus name people in East Texas. And uh, from their family would come a son and then several son-in-laws and quite a number of grandsons and great-grandsons that would be preachers that would be heralding the move of God in their time. And this particular sister of mine, of my dad rather, had wandered away from God. She had uh, married an unbeliever as a young girl and this uh, led her into drinking because her husband was a drunkard and a womanizer and she turned to alcohol to show him how it felt and became trapped by alcohol herself and became an alcoholic. Hearing that she was living with men and going from just one, we call them out in the South, beer joint to beer joint or bar to bar, continually drunk, my father um, went and got her and brought her to our country home where she would be in a, in a godly influence and away from alcohol. We lived in what was called a dry county. You couldn't buy it alcohol for miles and miles around. And, and so with, a, with her not having a way to travel or go and just living, with, you know, she, she spent her first week or two just drying out and, and so on. But anyway, I was a young preacher and my dad suggested to me that I, I preach on the prodigal son in order to help his sister. Now, this kind of goes to show you of your training that you get in life sometimes. You know, I, I actually thought, you know, that's a good idea and yeah, you know, dad wants her to hear a sermon like that and it'd be good for him or her to hear it and I'll study on that and I'll, I'll preach on that. And I did. And I miserably failed. The anointing of God would not come. And I just stood like a, I felt like a bumbling idiot. You know, I, I struggled through it. And it was such a painful experience to me. Very, very painful experience. Until, um, I, 
you know, where, where I learned, you know, never to take instructions on what to preach from anyone else but God. Not even from my own dad and not even for good reasons or honorable purposes. But for years and years and years, I would avoid even speaking on that subject because I, I associated pain with, with that, you know, that scripture. And, um, you know, I fast forward now some years as time passed. My wife had a niece who was raised in a godly home. She was about 18 or 20 years of age, and she decided to leave home. It was nearly midnight when I got a call from her dad asking me to come and talk to her, but nothing would persuade her. She, you know, didn't know if the message was right. And if it was, well, maybe it's just not for me. And she was just going to go out to find herself. And so she left home. She left church and she out there met a divorced man who was just a drug head and married him and tried to make a life out of it. And after a bitter marriage that ended in divorce with a young son, she finally came back to church and came even to the altar, but didn't make a full surrender. And I wonder, there at the altar, I said, go and sin no more, or a worse thing will come upon you. And she actually went away thinking in herself, what worse could happen to me? I mean, here I am, a divorced, a single mom. I'm, I'm, my life is spent, my, my life is wrecked. You know, what, what else worse could happen to me? Than what's already happened to me. But it wasn't long that she drifted back and started hanging with the wrong crowd again. And, and one night at a drunken party, she got pregnant and now with another child to take care of, she just floundered in sin and doubts and unbelief. She had been out of church now for several years and I really hadn't thought about this girl for months. You know, it was kind of out of sight, out of mind. You go to dealing with people and their immediate problems and people that are out of sight. Sometimes you you may even forget about them. And I hadn't really thought about her. You know, it just it just been kind of out of sight, out of mind. And I had I was over in Germany, and um, I was going to preach a convention there. And while I was there, after one of the services there, I was laying in, in bed. And I, I was suddenly awakened by an audible voice that jolted me out of my sleep. And, and uh, this voice spoke and called the girl's name and said, she's about to get her last call. Now, I don't know how to explain this, but I looked across the ceiling, and there was a dark line that was drawn across the ceiling. And I laid there staring at that line, and I knew she was about to get her last call and about to cross the line. But at that moment, I also knew I was the messenger, and that I would be responsible to tell her what was given to me. And yet at that same moment, I realized the consequences that if she failed to get the message. And, and so I was so afraid of the consequences if I failed. And 
as well, do I go meet with her? Do I do this or do I do that? And I was just prayerfully considering, you know, of course I get home and, and I don't see her until just a month or so later at one of our Labor Day meetings. She just showed up, hadn't been to church in years. And at the first opportunity, I took her to side and, and I told her what had happened to me. And the voice that I heard speak. And, and um, all she did was just look at me and say, thank you. And turned and walked away. And I was smitten. I said, God, you gave me a message. And somehow it didn't get through. Somehow or another, this, this girl apparently, you know, there was, there was, it was no impact. There was no, seemingly nothing happened. And, and I said, God, how could I have failed? I, I tried my best to speak honestly. I told her, listen, you're my niece and you know I have never lied to you. And I've always told you the truth and I've never made things up. And I've never made a pretense to be something I wasn't. But God spoke to me, and this is what he said. And all she said was, thank you, and walked away. It would be about another month later, I received a call from her about 2 a.m. in the morning. And she said, Brother Tim, Brother Tim, this is Denise. Said, I was just woke up suddenly, and there's somebody in my room. And I don't know, I don't know, but I know this. I must make a decision right now. I must make a surrender to God. And I must do something tonight. She said, I reached over to my Bible by the bed and it opened to the prodigal son. And I said, oh, Denise, you're coming to yourself. You know God would not have told me that if there was no hope for you. And right there, I led her back to Christ. And today, she remains a stable, sweet, wonderful Christian woman. Chains forever in his presence. And it was right then that I got the liberty to preach from this text that I'm preaching to you tonight. And I wanted to say this before we start. We are getting ready for a celebration. There's going to be dancing and shouting and killing the fatted calf and the return of prodigals. Amen. There's going to be people who have sat in darkness and will see great light. Shall I prophesy to you tonight? God's going to move in hearts and lives of men and women. In your loved ones and the ones that you're praying about right now, God's going to move on their behalf. Because this God is a God that is rich in mercy. A God that can reach further down than what you can even look up. You cannot imagine how much grace and love and mercy that this God has. And he'll reach right down to you and to your need. 
Amen. Can I just tell you a moment right there after my wife's healing there in a, in a, just a prayer line the next night or so there we had a prayer line. A young girl came up in that prayer line and said, I want, I want my brother to come home. I want him delivered. He was a boy living out in the world, living out with a sinful, riotous, evil life. Away from God and had been for years and right there before the service was over, God went and got him out of his bed. And he came in his pajamas to the house of God and fell down at the altar and repented that very night. This is a God who is more than enough. And he is able to meet even more than your expectation. But I'm telling you, if you begin to call on him on the scene, this God will respond to your need. We're getting ready for a celebration. And not only are we getting ready, but heaven is getting ready. Because the Bible said there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Hallelujah. And the Bible said, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. This young man, really just a thoughtless kid, going about life as if there was no tomorrow, as if there is no eternity ahead. And he said to his father, give me my portion of goods that is mine. This this boy, he was weary of restraint. He was punting for independence. He was unable to abide any longer under the check of his father's eye. No, he wanted his own way. And this is the way of sinful man. Man that is sinful is impatient of divine control. I want to go do my own thing. And the Bible said he took a journey into a far country. And it's a long journey that sin will take you. And it'll take you in places you never intended to go. Amen. It'll take you further than you wanted to go. And this boy, he wanted to get away, as I said, from the watchful eye, perhaps of the pastor, the watchful eye of the word that tells us when we're wrong. And I want you to understand that watchful eye of the Word and the Holy Spirit through the Word that are worked through a godly ministry. That's, that's, that's protection. That's grace. When the Word comes along and corrects us and tells us we've been wrong, amen, that's, and that what we're doing is displeasing God, that's just nothing short of amazing grace. Amen. That's God's favor to you. That he loves you. That he loved to keep you from the scars of sin and the unbelief that would hold you. Now some think we have walls of restriction that surround us and they call it a prison. But it's not a prison. It's our castle. Amen. And those walls are our protection. Amen. The walls of holiness are to protect our purity. But this boy, he, he wanted to be uh, independent of God. He wanted to be his own master. And that's the sin of all sins. 
I'll just be my own man. Because no man is ever really his own master. You see, you're going to serve something. And you're going to worship something. You might worship a rap star that ain't worth a silver, a silver speck. You, you might worship a, a, a rock and roll king or whatever else that he is. You might worship all of that. You're going to worship something. Amen. Man wanted to be his own master, but nobody's really his own master. You're going to either serve God or the devil. And you've got to decide whether or not whose servant you are going to be. But he said, give me what's mine. I I just feel under bondage. I feel restricted. You know, all of these rules and regulations and all of these things that, oh, you can do this and you can't do that. And, you know, but I want you to understand it really wasn't that at all. This boy, this boy, what he was thinking wasn't really true. It was a demonic anointing on this boy. It was making him think like that because when he came to himself, he remembered home is a wonderful place. No better place to be where there's plenty of food and even the lowest servant has plenty. We're going to preach on that tonight when he came to himself. Because I believe there's going to be people come to themselves. And realize I've got a father. My father's house. There's plenty there. But notice as I said. A devil. A demon. You say a demon. Ain't that just a little bit old fashioned to think of a demon? Well you know the prophet of God said that. He said I. Uh, the only thing that kept me from being saved uh, when I was 12 years old was because a spirit hung over me. He called it a devil. And he said, say, it was saying, wait a little longer. Now you know who's been talking to you. Amen. And he said, the reason, the reason you wasn't saved when you become the age of accountability, a spirit... You got with the crowd and that hovered over you and kept hanging on you. You wanted to do right. There's not a man man that's got his right mind but what he wants to do right. But there's something that won't let you do right. That's the devil. But I want you to know Christ paid for your deliverance. Hallelujah. Amen. Now... I do, as Brother Branham said, now you get ready. And I think as a church, we need to be ready. Amen. He commissioned his church to cast them devils out. There you are. In my name, they shall cast out devils. Said, you're not going to heal anybody. You're just going to cast the devil away from them. So they'll accept the healing I've already done. That's right. And he said, preachers stand on the platform and preach the gospel and devils scatter. The man comes to the altar under conviction and says, I want to get saved. He never saved the man. He cast out the devil. That's right. And the man got saved. And he come and accepted his salvation. So the preacher don't save the man, but by the preaching of the word, he casts out the devil. Amen. I want you to get uh, get a little understanding here. The, you know, the principal work of the church is casting out devils. That is the great commission. In my name, you shall cast out devils. Amen. But, uh, you know, you can't do that with intellectual speech. 
Intellectual talks will not cast Satan out. It'll just tell you how to manage a life under the control of that devil. But that is not the idea of God for you to live under under the control of a devil and just kind of learn how to manage his, his wickedness. But God wants to do something more than that. God wants to bring a deliverer and take that master out of your life and put another king on your throne. Well, you can really say he's my king and he's king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And the first place he's going to reign is in my life. That ought to be the burden of every heart tonight. Let him reign in my life completely, totally. But this boy was under delusion. Something had clouded his mind with unbelief. And when you start doing things wrong, that's an evil spirit working on you. Amen. Things, you know, start doing things that to take you out of the house of God. Here just recently, I live on a farm. As I just told you, we have, we have Angus cattle. And I, you know, we, we, our cows were given birth. And I happened to look out and there was just a cloud. A cloud of black vultures that had swarmed over something. And I run, run out to the pasture to see. And one of our cows had just given birth. And as the baby is being born and the mom's tending to her birth pains, these vultures was right there to pick the calf apart. And before I could make it out to the pasture, they had ripped open his spine. And they had pulled there and was pulling his inwards out and fighting over it. And I want you to understand that's exactly what the demons of hell will do. They stand there to try to devour the newborn child as it's being born. To try to pick you, take you, rip you apart, shred your life, ruin you. And destroy you. And I got to that calf that was nothing to be done for it. It was finished. But I tell you what. They didn't get another one. Because I didn't care how protected they were. And what law said. The law of Tim Pruitt said. They ain't ain't getting another one. And I'm going to just tell you tonight, I feel the same way about God's children. They ain't getting another one. Amen. They ain't getting another one. No vulture's going to be able to stay around. I've got a double-barreled shotgun in the Acts 238, and I'm right here to shoot every one of them down because I am. De- God is determined that his children are going to dwell under safety. But that's the way demons are. They're ready to take every person they can. Ready to get every person about to be born. That rule of your parents that you rebel against. If the word, if it's the word your parents are teaching you to rebel against that is to rebel against God. If it's the rule of the word to rebel against that, as I said, is to rebel against God. So with a godly pastor, 
godly minister to rebel against the word and the leadership that God has placed among you is to rebel against God. I'm right here. I'm right here on the anniversary of where I stood 10 years ago. And I preached on the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth and how the leaven must be purged out of the church. Sin must be purged out. Unbelief has to be purged out. And you are much stronger church today because of the purging. Vultures of hell were here then trying to pick off every weak person. There was, and I want to ask you, I want you to ask yourself, are they better off? Free, yeah, free to shed every vestige of holiness. Free to tack yourself up. Free to become a homosexual. Free to not even believe in God anymore and become an atheist. A man free to deny the Bible. And now instead of believing it, they can point out what they perceive to be error in the very word of God. That's not freedom. I said that isn't freedom. That's bondage. And it's the very basis and the very chains of unbelief. So you're going to go down and eat slop with the swine. Contaminate your life with your sins. While your wife and your daughters dress like whores and you stand in your shorts and then you make a video for me of why I left the message. I just want to say save yourself the trouble. I'll tell you why you wasn't born again. And because of that, you're selfish. And you're self-centered and it's all about me. I just want my freedoms. Oh, I know, I ain't supposed to preach like this. But I'm an out-of-towner. I don't know any better. But this boy, you know, this boy was just trying to find himself. He says, you know, I don't know if I believe like mom and dad. I, I, I don't know about all this stuff of a prophet is true. And, you know... And some of it might be true, but I just want to find out who I am. Well, I'm just going to tell you. There's only one book that can tell you who you are and where you come from and where you're going. You ain't going to find it on the Internet. You ain't going to find it in some of these false gospels out here. Only one book can tell you who you are, where you come from, and where you're going. Amen. Now, as we look at this, the Bible said he went into a far country. He was like Cain. Cain, you know, was shown the perfect will of God. He was shown the acceptable sacrifice. He was shown what God required. He he saw what God would honor. And he refused to do it. And he walked out of the presence of God and went into the land of Nod, which means wandering. Wanderings. This is where it takes you. You can take and look at the very, at, at Calvary. You can look at the sacrifice. You can look at the atonement. You can see what God requires. He requires a baptism of the Holy Ghost. Nothing less than that. And you can turn and look and walk away. Into a far country, into a land of wanderings. 
divide with me my inheritance. You see, a man would accumulate his wealth from working on his father's farm. That's how they made their living. First, he had an inheritance just from being born into the family. But it, he, he was not a, a dependent. He would work on the farm. And so some of it, the wealth of his father would be from his labor. And usually this portion was given when the father died. He would inherit it. He'd get his portion. But one day, this boy began to hang out with the wrong crowd. A crowd he had no business hanging out with. You know, your first step away from Christ will usually be shown in the associates you pick. And then you find some other backslider and say, well, guess what? I, you know, they, they say, guess what? I, I escaped that. You know, I got away from that. I, I, I was able to escape. Why do you seek that out? Because the Spirit's trying to draw strength from one another. Congregating themselves together and agreeing with one another and taking comfort from one another. You know, at that church they said this and they did that and they, and they said, and, and all of this gossip of unbelief. Spirits agreeing together, congregating, taking comfort. Oh yeah. You congregate with the other rebellious because that's where your spirits find in fellowship. I've seen it in churches where boys will dare their friends not to come to Christ and make a block of resistance to the truth. Dare one another. Don't you, don't you go to the altar. Don't you surrender. Don't, don't you betray us. And you become an encouragement for others to sin. No, don't tell me. You know, I, I grew up in church myself. Hello, somebody. And I know, I know the spirits that hang around. And I know what unconverted kids do with one another. Oh yeah. But this boy began to hang a, hang a, with a crowd, which that's the first step a, away from Christ. Feeding off of others' unbelief. Well, the deacons, they all look down on me. I wonder why. Nobody respects me. Well, why is that? You know, just a simple adjustment to your attitude and direction can make this whole church admire and appreciate you. Amen. You can sit there, you know, oh yeah, I know every trick, every trick there is in, in the, in the, and I can tell you some tricks. Cause in 50 years I've seen a lot of them. I, you know, we can, we can zone it out. We can pretend. We can close our ears. We can let our mind wander over here or there or whatever else and purposely stay out of the presence of God. And you do that by choice. Well, you know, just a simple change of your attitude and direction, as I said, can make Make everybody love you and appreciate you. And everybody loves you anyway, even though you're a sinner. But they want the, they want you to do right. They want you to be respectful in the house of God and love God. They want to see you raising your hands to the Almighty and surrendering your life. Amen. They want to see you as somebody they can respect. That boy, that's a real Christian boy. That girl, that's a real Christian girl. But you know, 
You know, sometimes it's an evil spirit. It just comes along. Well, you know, I'll just associate with them. I want to win them to Christ. Well, you know, you don't win them to Christ going on the devil's ground. It's just like the scene in that wonderful drama this week of Daniel Carter. That's a mistake that many people make. There are many sins that are done under under the cover of religious motives. Remember the serpent came to Eve talking the Bible and said, Yea, have God said for the purpose of leading her away from God. But you know, as we look, this was an old-fashioned home. Old-fashioned mom and dad worked hard all their lives, had these two sons, tried to raise them up. Maybe they went to church, no doubt, every Sunday, every Wednesday. They loved God. They served God with all their heart. One day, the younger son started going out with people he had no business going with. Remember, like I said, young people, watch who you associate with. I don't care who the boy or the girl is. If they're not saved, keep away from them. Amen. You say, well, I, I can go in the bar room with this guy. You know, I, I can just drink a Coke while he drinks beer and whiskey. And you know, I can come back and out and be the same person. You can't. The Bible said to shun the very appearance of evil. Stay off the enemy's ground. Don't get, he says, don't give place to the devil, which means don't give him the opportunity. Now, you know, there, there was a story of a king, you know, one day that wanted a chariot driver and, and he interviewed some guys and one, one of them said, well, you know, I drive these horses within two foot of the rim right off the, where the cliff is at, at a, a full gallop and, and I've never went off. Another said, well, I beat that. I've been six inches by that thing and I, I never go off. He said to another one, he said, what about you? He said, I stay as far away from the edge as I can. And he said, you're the one I want to ride with. And if you want to make it safe in this journey, you're going to have to realize I must stay as far away from sin as I can and as close to Christ as I can. Amen. Now... And Brother Branham would talk about this when, when he talked about it. He said, don't see how close you can get to the sin. See how far you can stay away from sin. Get away from, just shut it off altogether. Said it's a shame our American people do waller and do things that go in homes today. I went into Christian homes. Now isn't this a shame? Christian homes opened the ice box, which that's a refrigerator in case you don't know. And it's full of beer cans. Supposed to be a Christian home. Said Christians don't fool with that stuff. But we, he said, what are you doing? We've traded the old-fashioned prayer altar out of the house and made a card table out of it. And maybe it's not a card table anymore. Maybe it's Netflix. Or maybe some other filthy stuff. Amen. You know, there again, a home needs to be built around the Word of God in prayer and righteous and holy things. A lot of our problems that are in our, in our homes today is not even, not even juvenile delinquency, it's parent delinquency. People have let down the bars, they've let sin come in, they've compromised with the world. 
in his parent delinquency. I'll tell you, it's time that even parents realize I've got a responsibility. We want heaven in this home. Amen. If we want heaven in our children, we got to get it in our homes. And it starts with getting heaven in mom and dad first. And in order to get that, we need to heaven to come down in the church. We need spiritual people, men and women, who know how to touch the throne of God and bring heaven down into a service where that God sweeps right through, just like I was speaking about in my home, that will sweep out and open the blind eyes, that will heal the brain bleeds, that will raise the cripple and make them walk again. Oh, God, that will take your crippled condition and your warped and evil mind and remake it and make a son or a daughter of God out of you. That's what I'm expecting in this camp meeting is the Holy Spirit to sweep right through here. Amen. As the people begin to praise God and expect they are impossible to begin to happen and God move through here and open up blinded eyes and bring back people to their right mind again where they come to themselves. I can hear the devil saying this, boy, it's all right to be religious. Why do you need something so confining? You don't have to have something so restrictive. As I said, this gospel isn't restrictive. It's our protection. It's his grace, it's his favor that he loves us and protects us. And he gives us a word. A man is like a guy who left my church. You know, he started hanging out with the good old boys. Married boy, married man, five children. Took one beer and God didn't strike him dead. So, well, I must not be God's anyhow. So he took another one. His life has been chaos. You know, and drugs. You know, right down the dregs of humanity ever since. But I talked with him and I told him, look, look around, see what you got. You'll lose your kids out in the world. Oh, no, I want you. You can raise good, good kids and not be a Christian. I said, no, you can't. I said, it's impossible. Amen. Goodness comes from God. Amen. There's nothing, nobody, nothing good but God. And all goodness comes from him. Don't think, well, I can, I can raise good kids and a good family, have a good wife and a good home without God. It'll never happen. Today he's lost all but his, lost all, just about all of his kids. They're drunks, drug heads. His daughter had her child out of wedlock, married, divorced, now shacking up with guys. Sure, he was free from Christ. But what did his freedom bring him? Slavery to the devil and sin. For the Bible said, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And let me tell you, Satan is a wicked, hard task master. He's unmerciful. But he began to listen to these voices. Aren't you a man? Well, what are you living there at your parents' house? You don't need that old family anyhow. All I want to talk about and do is go to church and talk about God and, you know, and follow some silly little old teaching while they say it's a cult anyhow. Well, I'll tell you what, any cult that have changed lives 
Take sinners and make them saints. Take the habits of the world and give them freedom from it. Amen. You call that a cult? I want that cult. Amen. Because it'll change lives and make decent people. Real fathers, real mothers, real children. Call it a cult all you want to. You can either belong to God's cult or you can belong to the world's cult, the devil's cult. And he's got a world full of cult. Call it what you want to. But let me tell you, friends, it's only here that you really have freedom. Freedom from sin and unbelief and from the scars of life. Well, you know, I tell you what, we, you, you know, you, you just, you know, we can still go to church, you know. Our church is cool, you know. Um, you do anything and Jesus still loves us. You can be your own man, be your own master, do your own thing. Well, at our church, you know, ha, there's no preaching there. We, we have fun and games. We, we, we you know, we, we got, uh, you just come any old way you want to. A slick tongued devil will offer you everything. He knows, he knows, he knows you're not going to do your own thing. No, you'll do his will. You're already listening and begin to, then beginning to obey his voice, taking him as a master. I can hear him say, well, just move in with us. Leave that house. Come on to my house. Live like a boy should. And he makes up his mind. Dad, you're getting old. Mom is too. You're a bunch of old fogies anyway. I want my fortune. I'm tired of hanging around the house. Uh, there's things I want to do. You know, I've made my choice of friends. I know they don't meet your approval. But they're all going out where I want to, where, where I want to go. And I want to do what the rest of them do. But you better never follow crowds. You better follow Jesus. But that's the attitude of many. You know, I just want to do like the rest of them. You know, I, I want to be like them. I wonder if you ever looked really close at their lives. We'll talk about it a little bit. But you know, I, I, I want to go where nobody's watching me. You know, where nobody really cares what I'm doing. I, you know, I know I'm just tired of everybody watching me. I want to get away from that watchful eye. I don't care myself what people see me do. You can watch me all you want to. I have nothing to hide. Amen. If you read the kind of right, if you lead the right kind of life, anybody can watch it. You're not ashamed of anything you do. You don't have to get undercover. Your life will be an open book. But dad, you're getting old. I want my inheritance. I want to do my own thing. I want to live my own life. These seeds are coming from somewhere. He's been thinking about them for quite a little while. And now he's about to act on it. And he's losing his mind. Something is beginning to take him over. There's a demon beginning to take it over. And he can't see what's really influencing him. What's, what's giving him these thoughts and these desires and what's anointing these desires. He thinks it's his thoughts, but it's not his thinking at all. It's a demon sitting there 
that's feeding through his rebelliousness and his stubborn will to gain control over him. If you take the evil spirit off of this boy, he's a sweet, loving, caring person. But with his evil spirit on him, you can't stand to be around him. He's wretched and miserable. Well, son, father said, this is our only way of making a living. It's our only livelihood. I don't care how it affects you. It's about me and my rights and who I am. And, you know, I, I have an inheritance and you give it to me. <clears throat> I can see the poor old father. It bothers him really bad. Well, what are you going to do, son? Well, I'm going to go down to the city. I'm going to live like the rest of them. Son, don't do that. Stay with your mom and I. We, we love you with all our hearts. We, we want to be good as we can be. We've done everything we can, but that wouldn't satisfy. Satan's already got a hold of the boy. And all he can see is through the control of that demon influence that Satan has on him. And he looks out there, and he's like Lot, who's down in Sodom. All he can see is the glamour of Sodom. He's blinded to what will happen to his daughters. His son-in-laws who will mock him. His wife who will become frozen looking towards Sodom. And all he can do is see himself. Selfishness. What, what he was going to get down at Sodom when he lived like the rest of the worldly people. Away from the watchful eye of Abraham and the promise coming son. That's the nature of a sinner. It's selfish. Self-centered. He desires to get all he can. He's impatient of delay. Can't wait. You see, selfishness will destroy your home. Selfishness will destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your life. Another thing, sinners waste their blessings. They bring their own self to a state of wretchedness. A life of sin will always bring... On spiritual want and misery. It destroys the faculties and benumbs the mind and hardens the heart. And it abuses the generosity and the grace of God. And makes us careless about him who gave his all on our behalf. So that we become indifferent to the consequences of our own conduct. Now, I can see his father talk to mother. Mother, you know what's happened? Our boy's got with the wrong crowd, and he's a young man now. He's asked me to sell the farm. I take all I have and divide it with him, his brother. See, it didn't matter who he hurt. He's callous. Going to walk right over mom and dad, crush their hearts. Crush them down under, walk all over them under his feet and laugh. I can't even get along with mom anyway. She's always telling me what to do. What happened? This is the same mom and dad that loved you. Changed your diapers. Kissed your bobos. Rocked you to sleep. Worked till their hands bled for you. And all of a sudden it ain't love anymore. It's hate. I'm sick and tired of hanging around here. All of my friends are out doing this and that. They ain't friends. They're vultures from hell. 
ready to pick you and tear you apart. I want you to look around this church. I want you to look over at counselors. I want you to look at ministers on the platform. Deacons around here. These are your real friends. These are your real brothers and sisters who will pray with you. And pray until you get a victory in your life. Those are real friends. People who wants the best for you. People who wants a good marriage for you. That has a, everywhere you raise lovely children and have good homes. Solid families. But I want to do what my friends do. I'm a Laodicea and it's people's rights. We're going to have, we're going to do what we want to do. We have a right. Don't you tell me that it's wrong. It's our freedom to do what we're doing. I just saw a sign as I drove to Dallas, a sign, a billboard up there. I saw a sign that said, abortion is freedom. Can you imagine such a lie? Abortion isn't freedom. Abortion is murder. Abortion is sin. What is, what is warped the minds of young people to think that that's liberty? You know, the right to kill a child, that's my American right to kill my baby. It's my freedom. It's my, it's my body. It's not your body. It's a baby. It's a life. And God in the Bible, when, when he said, when he said, you bruise a woman who's expecting a child and cause that child to die, it's life for life. God said it's life and God called it murder. And we got young people that are so stupid with sin and unbelief that is being promoted around the world. They'll even get on Facebook and say that America, that abortion is my right. There's an idiot born every day, I guess. And let me just tell you, I'll tell you about Facebook for a moment. I've never seen, I have never seen Facebook open the eyes of the blind, but I've seen it make the dumb to speak. You know what's warped the minds of young people is to think that's liberty. The right to kill a child is my American right. It's my freedom. Let me just tell you, you can't be pro-abortion and be a Christian. Where does this freedom, where does this freedom stop? Where will it stop? Next thing, it'll be a two-year-old. It can be two-year-old before we kill them. We can keep them. Listen, these are not pets. These are not dogs. These are not livestock. These are children. Next thing, it'll be two-year-olds. Next thing to be murdered, you know, to murder the sick, the infirm, the aged. Maybe your thoughts are, well, I, you know, I tell you, brother Tim, I, I'm, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm leaving this camp meeting. I'm going to join the military. I'm going to serve my country. Well, I just want to ask you, could I recruit you tonight for God's army? There have been snipers shoot down brothers and sisters and the devil terrorize homes and churches. Why don't somebody raise up and fight against that? 
We need young people to rise up and fight against it. Join God's army and say, I will not stand to see our young, see other young people sniped away and killed and murdered and drug out in the world and their lives ruined. I'm going to join God's army. Mom said, son, I washed your clothes. I ironed them. Tried to make a home for you. We sacrificed. We'd done without to provide for you. We sent you to private school. Well, you know, you've been a part of Cloverdale Bible Way School. And, you know, we tried to protect you and nurture you and keep the scars of sin. And, and you even resent that. Ah, oh, now, you know, I'd appreciate it, Mama. But, you know, I just want my freedom. That was okay at the time, but I'm just tired of going to church. And, you know, I don't want nothing like that. I'm just going to have my own way for a while. I'm going to do my own thing. i got to find myself. You know, I'm, I'm of age now. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my way about this. And they talk and they talk and they talk. I can see her put her arms around him and try to hug him. And he just turns his head and shrugs her away. You don't want no affection, no. I remember Brother Branham talking about it, and you remember the story if you've listened to any tapes of a young girl who was, went away to college, and, you know, she got friends there, brought a young girl home with her. She would got away from God, got away from church, got hardened in her life, and, you know, she was a, a great star at college, and she come home for a vacation break, and she, as they're coming into the station, there was her mama down there to greet her as she was on getting off the tra- train. And as they pulled up there uh, and, and looked at the crowd, her friend looked out there and said, look at that old haggy looking woman out there. Wouldn't you have to, hate to have to sit at the table to eat with something like that? And, you know, her girlfriend talking to her like that, well... That was the girl, that was this little girl's mama. Instead of speaking up, she just turned her head and she got off, off the train and this old wrinkled up woman run up to her and threw her arms around her and kissed her and the girl just repulsed her and pushed her away. Get away from me. I don't know who you are. Get away from me. And she's cold and turned her back to the lady. And the mama's crying out, Oh my darling, what happened to you? You know, she was embarrassed because of what her girlfriend said about her mom. And there was a conductor there that grabbed this little young girl by the shoulders and spun her around and said, What do you mean acting like this? Are you ashamed now of your mama since you've been away to college? You know the story of what happened with your mama. One day your house was burning down. Your mama was the most beautiful woman in the city, far more beautiful than you were, girl. When you were a tiny baby, she was out hanging clothes in the backyard. And all at once, the house caught on fire. Comes the fire engines to put it out, and the house was aflame. You were crying upstairs. No one would dare pierce the flame, but your little mother wrapped her face in a in in and her body in in cloths and ran up there and got you and and in order to bring you down she wrapped you in those cloths and run back down the uh, the stairs and and your mama is all scarred 
so that you could be beautiful. And that's the way that Jesus did. I mean, when we were sinners and ugly before God and cast away, He came down, the lovely, sinless Son of God, and left the ivory palaces and came down to earth and took your shame upon Himself and your sin upon Himself. Went to crying there at Calvary. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And became forsaken so you could be accepted. And you tell me you would turn down a God that is such full of rich and mercy and grace like that. Who became ugly. So that you could be sinless. Don't you ever deny him. Just because of a smart like friend. He gave his life for you. Well, I don't know more to do with this family. All y'all do is go to church. Puts Father has to put up our sale sign, divide up the farm. Mother and dad just live on the portion as long as it lasts. He goes out, old lady, go ahead and pack up my clothes. You know, she goes through his things, reminds of the little things that he used to wear and his boyhood and his little room and Whatever. He picks up a pair of little shoes. Dad's over there weary. Worried, walking back and forth. The boy packs his suitcase and out he goes. So long. They don't care. Well, just a minute, son, before you go out, let's, let's just kneel down and pray. I've had enough of prayer. That's all it's ever been around here. And they tried to Put their arms around him and have a little word of prayer and said, Lord, be with our son. Father, take care of him. But the boy, he's restless. He don't care nothing about prayer. He don't want to hear from his mom and dad no more. She tries to hug him by and he turns his head and dad puts her arms around him and cries. Oh, get away and shrugs him off. And off he goes, started down over the hill. Mom and dad standing there holding their hands. Arms around one another, waving goodbye to him as he went over the hill. He don't even look back. He don't care. I'm going down to the city, leaving behind, weeping, crying, praying parents. Well, you know, he's Mr. Big Boy as long as the money lasts. You know, sin has pleasure for a season. But it don't last very long. It runs out of pleasure after a while. You know, the Marlboro, the Marlboro, the Marlboro man, you know, that tough man on the horse and all of that, you know, with, and he comes across with a suggestion. You can't be a man cause you don't smoke the same cigarette as me. You know, here's what toughness is about. You know, at least four of the Mar- Marlboro men Died of smoking related diseases. And addiction because a demon got a hold of them wouldn't turn them loose. That stolic old marble man tall and alone in the saddle. Image of all that is masculine and strong. He was really an actor choking his way <coughs> through pack after pack after pack 
of cigarettes so that the smoke could just rise just so and the ash tip just in the right direction. Oh, yeah, it paid. Sure did. There came a time, though, when he hated those cigarettes and even sued for damages, but it was too late. It took his life. But thank God when you come back, when you come to yourself and come back home, there's still mercy and forgiveness. You know, there was a young mother that started coming to our church. She had smoked three pibs, three packs of cigarettes a day. She's just in her, in her, in her low twenties. And, and she was, um, she was the daughter of a charismatic pastor. And her mom, the pastor's wife, was a chain smoker. And she just liked one cigarette after another on the other. And they tried every way in the world in their charismatic church to cast the cigarette demon out of their, their pastor's wife. It didn't work. They couldn't drive it out. And finally, it drove her away and she wound up in divorce. And her husband left her for another woman. But one day, this young mother came down to the altar and surrendered her life. And from that moment in the presence of God, drugs fell off, the desire for alcohol left, and a a three-pack-a-day cigarette habit vanished. Something her mother never could give up, trying after try after try. But here recently, her mother came to see her, came for a visit, laid her cigarettes on the window seal by the door, because she knew she couldn't smoke in the house and she would go out to smoke. And she would, she was a, she would lit, light one cigarette after another just about. My son Timothy was, happened to come by that day, was visiting the home and looked over there and saw that woman's cigarettes on the window seal and just pointed over at him and rebuked him in the name of Jesus Christ and cursed him. And two weeks later, the mother's calling her daughter, said, I don't know what happened to me, but I hadn't craved a cigarette in two weeks. And I always loved the things, and I didn't even want to give them up, but something happened to me. God can do that for your loved one, for your need, for your situation. He's a God that is full of grace and a God full of mercy. I can see him get with the big crowds, this boy, this prodigal. As long as his money lasted, he was everybody's fellow. Man, as long as you got money, you got friends. When your money's gone, your friends are gone. But I know a friend that stick closer than a brother. He won't leave you in the hard times and the bad times. He'll be with you even in you. Amen. But you know, the Bible said... He fell on hard times and he joined himself with a citizen of the, of that country. And the citizen gave him two big old slop buckets to go slop the hogs. Think of the place where this boy is out there slopping hogs in a pig pen. You know, Jewish people didn't even touch hogs. They didn't eat them. They didn't associate with them. But now, you know, he's far away from mother, far away from the religion that he has. He's got to keep hogs. 
And and now he's rooting at it. You know, that's what the devil will do. He'll get you to smoke your first cigarette. Or he'll tell you there's no harm in it. After a while, you're a cigarette fiend. He'll tell you there's no harm in taking a sociable drink. Huh. You know, there have been many that have been electrocuted or died in, you know, in capital punishments that I never intended to be this. I never intended to be a drunk. I didn't intend to be a thief. But all the devil wants you to do is start. Get you over on the wrong ground one time. And then there'll be an influence of the power of darkness. That'll lead you get to, to get trapped. It's like Legion. Legion started out with maybe just a lie. And that opened him up to a demon. And then a devil attached himself there. And that led to another sin. And that opened him up to another demon. And after a while, he lost his identity until he so lost his identity, his name was Legion. He began to be identified with the demons that had him. But I want to tell you, friends... Even for Legion, one moment when he just come to his right mind, just for a moment, after being torn with chains and away from his mom and his mom and dad and his brothers and sisters and his wife and children was afraid of him and everybody was afraid of him. He lived and had broken chains on him and lived in tombs. But one moment when he come to himself, just for a moment. He said, God, will you help me? And away across the sea, there was God himself in human flesh. And he was just now beginning to pray for his last one in the prayer line. And he got on a ship. And he's so exhausted. He goes across the ocean. And all the devils knows he's coming. And stirs up the waters. And the waves get higher and higher. Because they're going to destroy him. They think before he gets across. All them demons and legion are leaping out. To try to keep him from coming. And the disciples shake him in the high waves. And all of a sudden he comes awake and he says. They say, do you care that we perish? You're laying here exhausted to sleep. He wakes up and he says to the winds and the waves, peace be still. And immediately they're on dry land. And he walks out and the first one to come meet him is Legion. Legion brings his devils. All thousands of them. Down to meet Jesus. I'll tell you what, you can do that tonight. That devil don't have any control in the presence of Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, you can bring those demons right down to an altar and make them come to an altar to meet Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus, them demons can't stand. This boy didn't go out to eat in the hog, with the hogs in the hog pen. He didn't set out with a high ambition. Hey, my ambition in life is to be a hog feeder, and I would love to eat their food. 
That wasn't his ambition. He was going to be the cool kid. You know, you know, somebody, the girls will flock at. You know, you're cute with those, well, you know, that's baggy pants and checkered underwear or whatever. Now the style comes around with hair dyed green and yellow and a punk rocker or tatted up with a cool girl in skinny jeans or, you know, so tight you can't move. The devil wants to do all kinds of things to you. You got your new car and it's so sweet and all the girls flock around. Remember this thing started with an attitude. And if you could have stopped back there and realized this was a demon of hell to destroy your life, you wouldn't have listened to that thing. If we can only look into the unseen realm and see exactly what the thing is, you would have never wanted a devil like that. <laughs> but it took him away in a far country. And he began to live riotously. That means he was living without saving anything. And that's what the devil do. Riotous living is like a boy and a girlfriend. You know, they should save something for marriage. You hear they're kissing and slopping on one another before marriage saying, I love you to every boy or girl. You know, until there's a whole string of them you done told I love you to. You didn't save nothing. It's riotous living to waste your time, even on video games. Uh Uh-oh. Somebody just hung up on me, central dial them in. I'm calling you back now. It's riotous living to waste your time on video games. Men who are supposed to be godly Christian men rather than doing the duties of a father or a husband, wasting yourselves on playing games. I personally know of young men who have had to drop out of college because they couldn't stay awake because they wasted their lives on worthless video games all night. Lost their whole scholarship. I know of husbands who have robbed their families, not able to be a father to their children or a husband to their wife. And it's an addiction. And it's a demonic anointing. Where do you think that addiction is? The Bible said this boy lived extravagantly. He, he, you know, he lived in the most wicked company. And you may not leave your living room and be in filthy, wicked company. It can be as close as your phone or your iPad or your computer. But you wander away from God. One long his soul became hard. Nothing could get to him. He could sit and listen to a sermon and say, it ain't for me. I don't have to listen to this. I can tune him out. And it's true, you might tune me out, even tonight. But one day you're going to hear the voice of God. And I'm I'm here to tell you, right now you have not crossed the line. Because that's why you're here tonight. And it's because there is a God that is rich in mercy. That is calling out your name, that has sent me to tell you. You don't have to cross the line. There's mercy for you. There's a place for you. There's a place called home. And he'll bring you back home, oh my children. No matter how far you wandered. No far how, no matter how far you went away from God. He'll bring you back home. He'll restore your life. He'll give you a life worth living for. 
But don't spurn my voice tonight. This is a predestinated moment. There's a divine appointment for you. And God, let me announce again, God is going to do some great things tonight. And in this meeting... But God, but Paul said in Romans 6.13, Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but yield yourself to God as those that are alive from the dead. And that's what God wants to do is, with his quickening power, bring you from death back to life again. For the Bible said that you were dead in sins and trespasses. You walked according in times past according to... To the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan himself, the spirit that now worketh in the children of the disobedience. The Bible said there's a spirit that is working in children of disobedience. And he says we all had, and I want to say I had, every one, every one of these ministers all had. Our, our life in times past and the lusts of our flesh and we fulfilled the desires of our flesh and the mind were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But that's not the end of the story. But God. Did you hear me? But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. For even when we were dead in sins, he hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace are you saved and has raised us up and made us to sit with him in heavenly places. (coughs) Let me go back over this a minute. You don't even have to leave the house. To become a prodigal. Oh, I've never left the house. I've never done that to my mom and dad. Uh, You don't have to leave the house to become a prodigal. To go to wandering. you with me now? Let me tell you something, friends. I just dealt with a young man. He's a married man. He's not that young. He's 30 years old, I'd say. Been married a good 10 years. His poor wife come to me crying. They don't go to my church, but still she came to me crying because of him addicted. He has been a slave to pornography. Five hours out of every day. A slave. And he didn't leave his house. Pornography is now called the new drug addiction. There is, of course, another addiction. I just mentioned a while ago. That's video games where people who are addicted can't work. They can't function socially. They can't get an education. They've gone plumb mental. They're obsessed. You know, MRI studies shows it has a similar effect as a gambling addiction. It causes aggressive behavior. Even some of the shootings at our schools are the results of these games of sex and violence. 
and you think they're harmless and that's what you're feeding on and that, and that, uh, that you're feeding on violence and killing and murder and in your heart is murder and you can't wait to get on some game thing to murder somebody else. Amen. Since 1998, sex porns on the web has grown from 14 million sites to in 2018, 2.3 billion web pages of pornography. One top porn site has 23 billion visits last year. That's 64 million visits per day. For one person to look at all the pornography pages available, it would take them 11,180 years. That's how much is available. Enough porn was watched on just one website that all the, the data would fill up 194 million USB sticks. And if you put them end to end, they would wrap all the way around the moon. And it's not just men and women. Men either, it's women. And children whose addiction started when they were five years old. These are the negative effects that it brings. It brings a depression, insecurity, adultery, sin of every kind, aggressive bestiality until people can hardly have a normal marriage because of how it affected them. The average age of those exposed to pornography is now eight years of age. Devil's starting awful early. I don't think it hurts for us to start a little early, do you? Amen. People are taking devils. When you open up your gates, you open yourself up to them. I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you myself. I mean, I have dealt with young people coming across the stage. Who, who, who the devil is so taken in because of what they looked at, pornography, until the devil enters into them. And the moment I anoint them with oil, they turn into a snarling beast striking at me, trying to hit me. It's on video. It happened. But we cast it out. Because the name of Jesus is a higher than any name. This year at youth camp, we cast out ten major manifestation of demonic man- uh, uh, demonstrations coming out of people's lives. You don't think the devil's real? People are taking devils. And you open up your life just a little and then another and then another and then another. Oh, you say, that's just out in the world. Christian men, according to a recent survey, ages 13 and 18, 81% actively seek out pornography. 76% of ages 18 to 24, 65% of men ages 25 to 39, nearly half of Christian men ages 36 to 60. I wish I could say that only happens out there. But it's moving right into homes, into lives of what we call message believers. 
56% because it ain't just men either. 56% of Christian women actively seek out pornography. Now, why is this wrong? Because Jesus said, you've heard of them of old times say, thou shalt not commit adultery, but Jesus strengthened the law. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her committeth adultery with her already in his heart. As far as God is concerned, it's the same thing. Amen. And you know, and, and, the, and, and Jesus would then add these words, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. For he said it's, it'd be profitable for you, for one of your members to perish and not their whole body to be cast into hell. And he said, if your right hand offends you, cast it from you. It's profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not the whole body should be cast into hell. This is what Jesus said. After saying this about looking upon a woman, he said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. Now, God doesn't want us, Jesus don't want us going out digging our eyes out. He's simply using an illustration. Don't let anything keep you out of the kingdom of God. You hear what I'm saying? Don't let anything. It ain't worth it. The wages that sin pays is death and destruction. Proverbs has said, my son, keep my father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother, bind them continually about and around thy heart, tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. When thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. For the commandments is a lamp and a light. A law is light. And the reproofs of instructions are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of the strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in thine heart. Neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by the means of a horse woman, a man is brought to a piece of bread, and the adulteress will, will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goes into his neighbor's wife, whosoever touches her, shall not be innocent. God gave your body. Why waste it on filth? Give your body as to God, to his members of righteousness. You say, well, what's wrong with porn? It's sin. It's looking upon another to lust. It's potentially adultery. In fact, it's adultery in the spirit realm. And as far as God's concerned, it's as evil as the act. You're guilty. Paul would say, what? Know ye not that he that is joined to harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. Do you hear that? And don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, she becomes a part of him and he becomes a part of her? For God God tells us in the scripture that in his sight the two become one person. Read you another translation. He that's joined unto the Lord is one spirit. So if you give yourself to the Lord, you and Christ are joined together as one person. Flee fornication. Ever sin that a man doeth is without the body, that but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. That's why he says, run from sex sin. No other sin affects the body as this one does. When you sin, this sin, it is against your own body. But what? Know you not your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, 
which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not of your own. Amen. Your body does not belong to you. It belongs to the Holy Ghost. That's why we raise our hands to worship. That's why we sing the songs of Zion. Amen. Because our body, our hands that once served the devil, our body, our mouth that once served sin, now serves Jesus Christ. We yield our members to him. Hallelujah. Oh, what grace it is that God can take the very body, the the very hands, the very mouth, the very mind that used to praise the devil and live for the devil and so cleanse it and make you a child of God and take those same members and raise them up to the almighty God and give him praise and glory. For you are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your own body. Use your body to give glory back to God because he owns it. But let me just tell you, educating our youth ain't going to fix the problem. Having little TED Talk sermons ain't going to work. You know, I just saw, I just saw an invitation from a youth convention for a youth convention in the message. And they said today we're, we're going to call a conference where there's no preaching, where there's no altar call, no dealing with sin issues by casting out devils. Let me tell you something. Salvation and deliverance comes only by casting out devils. And when a preacher preaches, demons are cast out. But anyway, there's such a, this, this, let me just read you some of this. This is a message youth, youth conference. Thank God we don't have one like this here. But it's, but we call it a youth conference because it's not a meeting with song service. Our items are, that means special songs and preaching. There will be no preaching going on. We're going to spend four to five hours discussing the following points. The role of sexual development in youth. The reality of sex, sexuality. Why message youth are so vulnerable. Sexual addictions, pornography, and so forth. Discussing the best pop, possible solutions for their problems. That there is a major epidemic with regards to fornications, pornography, and the rising of homosexuality in our churches. And the organizer of this event further said, I do not support the statement that they must get the Holy Ghost and it goes away. So, you know, we want an intellectual talk. Just to kind of tell our kids what's right and wrong and how you ought to live and do and, you know, and the dangers of it and, you know, it's a little intellectual talk. You know why? The church has got to the point it don't feel like it needs the Holy Spirit anymore. I mean, they give you, you know, we can just have an intellectual talk and so intellectual can almost make you believe it. So smooth and deceive people, you know, but, but the gospel The gospel is to be something that changes lives. And I just want to say, I want to tell you why sin issues don't go away. As they were saying, just get the Holy Ghost and that fix it. I'll tell you why sin issues don't go away when you get the Holy Ghost. Because what you're calling the Holy Ghost is an intellectual conception. And no more than a cheap Baptist profession of faith that you've accepted Christ or accepted the message. And I'll tell you, it ain't going to work. 
Are you with me? Amen. You know, oh, you know, Brother Branham said that in 1964, he said, that's what's the matter today with the people. A, a new birth. They all dodge it. They don't like it. Oh, they have substituted something for the new birth. Just come up and believe that's how you have to do. The devil believes himself. And you know he's not born again. There he is a new birth. And there's something that goes with it. And it's unfitting and untasty to the world. A birth is a mess. And I don't care where it is. If it's in a pig pen or a hospital, a birth is a mess. And so is a new birth. It'll make you do things you didn't think you would. It'll make you get down the altar and cry and scream and wash the pain off your face and raise your hands and praise God and speak in tongues and all kinds of things. The new birth will do that because it's God's provided way of being born again. But you gotta die. Ah, oh, Brother Tim, we have outgrown the altar. We don't want no altar. Let me tell you the third pole vision. The third pole, he, he saw in the third pole them the altar call given. And the third pole has an altar call. And if we're preaching the third pole, it's gonna bring people to the altar. It'll bring them into a hidden life and a consecrated walk. But we don't want an altar experience in our churches anymore. We just want a dried confession. We just want to say we believe the message and we're going into rapture. You're not going into rapture. You're headed for tribulation. There's only one way to get out of here and that's by the blood. And that blood is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You get the Holy Ghost, sin goes away. Did you hear what I said? Amen. Knowing this, our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth, that means from now on, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. And when you get dead, when you die at an altar, you're freed from sin. You're free from the old husband that had you hold of you. He no longer has a claim on your life anymore. Oh yeah, I know I'm over time. But let me just tell you, friends. Amen. The Bible said, sin shall not have dominion over you. And then he explains why. Because you're not under the law. You're under grace. And when you get under grace, sin has no more dominion. And don't tell me you can go and slop in pornography and sin and everything else and say, I got the Holy Ghost. You don't have the Holy Ghost. You need to die to that thing and be born again. What you got is an evil spirit pecking on you and trying to destroy your life. Amen. What you need is an eight-day experience. And I'm talking about a Pentecostal spirit experience. Uh, Yeah, you heard me right. I said a Pentecostal experience. I think sometimes we forget that the purpose of this prophet, Elijah the prophet, was to turn our hearts back to the faith of the fathers, the Pentecostal fathers. Amen. Are you with me? 
Brother Branham said on the, for the eighth day that the heavens and earth will pass away with a great noise. The whole earth will be on fire and will ignite with the gases that's in the earth and then it exploded. Oh, yeah. And he said it's a holy fire. And it's not just a little fire. It's a holy fire that will take both Satan away and all of the devils. When the new heavens and the new earth, he's gonna, it's gonna break into an eighth day. Eighth day isn't yet. Did you hear me? Amen. It's on the other side of the millennium if you place it right. Hallelujah. Amen. He said it'll kill all the germs and the insects and all the natural life on it and all around it, even the H2O, the water will explode. He said, talk about a noise. Amen. Now you know, and I'm still quoting from Future Home, when a man receives a baptism of fire, there's a lot of noise around it. They think it's just a shame to hear those people scream and shout like that. Just wait until this earth gets its baptism. Oh, hallelujah. The holy wrath of God will come down on that sin in your life and burn every germ of it out of your life and make you a new creation in Christ. Ah, oh, no, Brother Tim, the Holy Ghost comes so quietly you don't even know when it came. Or, you know, or you just, I just want you to walk with God and evolve into the Holy Ghost. No, the Holy Ghost is an experience. It's not an evolve. Amen. You just don't morph into the Holy Ghost. You are, you have a definite experience with God. I think it's time we come back to preaching an experience. Amen. Where you meet God. Amen. You know, the, the, the Holy Ghost is a definite experience. I, I tell you what, you, you just show me one Bible example where they had this quite easy believism experienced. Every time it happened in the Bible, it was with noise and explosion and a burning out of sin desire. Are you with me? Amen. It burns it out. Brother Branham was asked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is 1964. You know, he said, what manifestation is known? He said, well, could you imagine? Can you imagine a mother giving birth to a baby and not know it? She'd have to be unconscious not to know it. Neither can you receive the Holy Ghost without knowing it. That's something that takes place in you. There's something that changes you. Your whole system, your whole spiritual system is made new again. And you become a new creature in Christ. As the Bible puts it, a new creation in Christ. It says there's something that takes place in you. And I'll tell you, that's what it's got to be. It's got to be the sin nature. But we've taken the seed, we've taken the little quote and, and went to seed on it of the mystery of the baptism of the Holy Ghost without sensation. And we don't even finish it. But the person of Christ performing in you the same works that he did. No, the Holy Ghost is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It is a person. But when he comes, there's a feeling and there's a motion. Something happens and something changes you. Hallelujah. Amen. Brother Brandon said, you cannot, this is 1964, you cannot receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost without having an experience when it happens. 
You now you believe the every speck of the word you say. You believe every speck of it. Then the word is laying there waiting. Waiting for the Holy Spirit to put it to work. But it takes the lighting of the candle. Here's the candle with the wick in it and all the tallow and everything has has to be in that candle. But until the fire comes on it, it will not shine any light. No matter how perfect the candle is and how perfect it'll burn and everything, it's got to be lit. Amen. And then it burns. And when you believe and you're made up of instructions of what the Holy Spirit is, love, joy, long-suffering, goodness, fruits, and bears it out until the Holy Spirit with a fiery experience comes down and lights that candle, then you haven't received the Holy Ghost. you got to have the experience to have the Holy Ghost. And our problem is, men, we got a nest full of rotten eggs, people who have never been with the mate. And that's why they can turn around and leave the message and spurn it. And we, you know, they've been our song leaders and our preachers and this and that, but they never met the mate. But we want a conference. Oh, we want one with no preaching, no songs, no prayer, no casting out devils. You know, the Holy Ghost won't fix these problems. We need intellectual talks. Can you imagine that? Tell me that the Holy Ghost won't fix homosexual spirits and spirits of perversion, that there's no power to save our youth from this. Let me tell you, it'll save from homo spirits. It'll save from pornography. It'll change and make you a new creature. It'll turn your head from this fornication and adultery. It'll set your affections on things above. Brother Branham told us, he said, when a man or woman gets a token, it'll make a man be a man. It'll make him be masculine. And a woman, it'll make her feminine. Let a woman be feminine. Let them be ladies. And he said, when the token is applied, they turn back to that. It's time to get the token. The true token works. Brother Branham said, and he cares for it, you care. 1963, you take a person, says they are, I'm a believer, I believe. Let the gospel light strike them, brother. They'll take it right now, and they'll show results. You'll not see that man anymore in pool rooms. You'll not see him out there with a cigarette in his hand. You won't see him drinking. Oh, you won't see him flirting with other women. No, 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 no. I don't care how much they throw their female flesh before him. He'll turn his head toward the skies and look toward Christ. It shows the remedy took effect. Listen, even Brother Branham didn't know what to tell the boys that would help him. So what can a conference do that has no preaching, no worship, no Holy Ghost wanted? All the psychology and talks in the world ain't going to help them. You say, Brother Branham didn't know? Well, let me just use his words. He says, in 1963, there's only one way provided by God. A man came to me yesterday. I got a boy, Brother Branham, 16. I got a boy, 12. I take him on the streets, these little strip teasers out there. Said, the little boys, they're males. What can I tell them? And he said, sir, I don't know. So what, what idiot guy is going to stand around here and say he knows what to tell him? 
when Brother Branham said, I don't know what to tell them. He said, sir, I don't know. Take them to Christ and let them get saved and filled with the Holy Ghost and they'll turn their head to them modern ship teases. He didn't know what to tell them, but he knew where to take them. Take them to Christ. Get them in the presence of God. Let the Holy Ghost fall. Let it cleanse sin. I'm trying to hurry. But this boy began to be in want. There began famine. Afflictions became upon him. He began, you know, instead of turning to God or turning back to his father, he began to go even further. He had too much pride to say, I'm wrong. His stinking pride. So he goes and joins himself to a countryman rather than going home. He should have at once turned to, to return to his father, but he chose rather to keep on going. Oh yeah, trying something else. He didn't leave home with the ambition to become a swine feeder, to eat pig food. He was going to be cool and find himself. He becomes a slave, a tinctured servant. And, you know, so, you know, here, you know, he begins to feed the pigs. He gets so poor and wretched. He would prefer to eat what the pigs were eating than what he had to eat. His life was lower than the pigs that he was feeding. But, you know, at this moment, the midnight before the dawn, he was reaching his lowest moment. And then Jesus comes. And he started coming to himself. His soul began to wake. His consciousness, his remembrance starts coming back. And he remembers it different. Everything's different from the way that he remembered when he left home. You know, he remembered. You know, see, all of that had been blocked out by these fantasies he was going to fulfill out here. And he starts, now he starts looking at the world with different eyes. He sees it's not a life worth living. It's empty. It's dirty. In fact, it downright stinks. Now there's no happiness there. I thought I was happy out here drinking, gambling, lying, cussing in this girl's arm, wasting my money on her. I realize now she was just a harlot, a dirty little devil. And he begins to turn to his right mind. And now he begins to see the world with different eyes. Now it doesn't look the same. And he begins to look back home. And Brother Branham said, the angel of God came to him and said, boy, wake up. What about you? It's about time to get back home. And I'm just going to tell you, you know, you probably wouldn't recognize an angel if he hit you on top of the head. But there's an angel in the pulpit right now that's telling you it's time to get back home. Brother Ron Spencer was sharing with me. He said, I was in a drug house. So mercy knows exactly where you're at. 
And he said, I'm not proud of it, but I never forget. I lived that prodigal son. So believe me, you know, he says, I know what it is. And he said, God's first audible words to me was, where are you at? It's time to come home. Amen. There he is. He's finding you where you're at. Wherever you're at, he's there to find you. Even if he was in a drug house. Amen. Wake him up. Let me tell you, it's not the devil telling you to come back. It's God calling you. It ain't God. It ain't a devil that brought you to this church meeting tonight. It's God brought you here. There was God going after that predestinated seed. Let me let make you understand this. No matter how far down the sin the boy went, no matter how alienated he was, he was still a son. Nothing the devil could do could take away his sonship. Amen. Though he lived with the pigs, he wasn't a pig. He was a son. And you don't become seed by the new birth. But because you were seed, you could be reborn. And you only recognize, you only realize at the altar, I'm a son of God. I don't belong to the world. That's why I can't enjoy pig food. Let me tell you, you always were his. And God hadn't forgotten one of you. He's looking for you like a mama eagle looking for that other egg. Amen. There was one egg that was never lost. That was his son, Jesus Christ. He was never lost. But you were taken out of the nest and put out in the world and lost away from God. But he never forgot you. He's flying over this camp meeting tonight. The old eagle's crying out. He's screaming, where are you, son? Where are you, daughter? He came to himself, that hood of darkness, that spirit of insanity that covered him. His thinking, his attitude, that evil spirit that controlled him departed back for a moment in the presence of that angel. And he began to look at things differently. And in that awakening, he says, I have a father. And how many hired servants my father has that has bread enough. Oh, my. He began to, to, begin to, to, to think of it differently. You see, before, the bread wasn't no good. It wasn't good enough. Father's house wasn't good enough. Now, as he comes to himself and the spirit has left and pulled back, now he's looking at the whole thing differently. He was insane. Ever sinner, the madness in their own hearts causes them to be estranged from God. But you see, he has to repent. And he has this change of mind. And this true repentance is a voluntary act. It's not forced. Many times people repent 
They're sorry, but they're sorry because they've been caught. And then they pass blame on somebody else for why they are the way they are. Daddy was too tough. Mama nagged me. The Jewish law, we believe, was too confining. All the other things. This is why I am the way I am. But I'll tell you, when you get through blaming God and begin to look at yourself and say it was me. Many times when repentance comes, seemingly repentance, I want my place back. Restore me to my position. But no, you see, this man didn't say that. He said, I've sinned against God and against you. And he realized, he realized his sin was against God. Not just his parents, against God. And a real penitent is humble. He don't try to hide anything. But there's something rises in him that says, I will arise. Amen. The first thing he does is leaves his friends. Don't want any more to do with it. I can't, I can't be a Christian and, and still associate with that out there. Jesus showing the steps and coming back. I will arise. And let me tell you something. We could have read about the, the righteous brother who never left. And you remember all the story about him that he was jealous and so on like that. But let me tell you, there was none of us that are that righteous brother that never left. Every one of us have been prodigals. Amen. We have no right to look down on our nose at everybody, at anybody else. If we got what we deserved, we'd all went to hell. But this man said, I will arise. I'll go to my father. Will daddy receive me? I may be in the boy's mind because he didn't expect to be treated as a son. I'll take a servant's place. I've sinned. I've been wicked. Now, that's the first step of repentance. I've sinned. Not, not, not the deacons at the church when they told me this was wrong. Not the preacher. I sinned. Not my parents when they tried to get me to do right. I've been ungrateful. I've been rebellious. I've been stubborn. He had admitted he was wrong. And you'll never get anything from God until you first admit, I need you, Jesus. I've done wrong. And the only way you'll ever get mastery over any problem is to call it sin. It's not just a little problem you got. It's sin. I've been stubborn. I've been rebellious. I've wanted my own way. And there he began to realize. He begins to realize I need to go home. And he had this attitude, I'm not worthy to even be called a son. Just make me as one of the hired servants. Notice now, he begins to look at God in, in a different way. My father, my father. I know I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, but you know, he's willing to take the lowest place. Once it was any place but home. But now, I'll gladly go back. Even if I had to sit on the back pew. Even if I never sing a special. Even, even if I'm never recognized. Even if I'm just a servant. I, I'm just. 
want to go back home. But I want to get you this picture. One thing Jesus wanted you to see. There's a glad welcome home. Welcome back home. And he rose and came to his father. Saying I will arise. He's coming to himself. What will I say to him? I'll be anything. Just make me one of your hired service. I don't deserve to be a son. Like I said, it's not a wretched place, nasty home. Mom and dad's got me no daddy. He's the sweetest man on earth. My father. God's got more grace than what you, you can ever dream of. And he's not content to have him back as a servant. He wants him back as a son. Amen. He rose. And that's one of the first thing you got to do is get up. Get out of that hog pen. Get out of that sin. Get up. Arise and say, I'll go back. Amen. And you might feel a long ways off, but brother, if you just look over the horizon, there is a father looking for you. Hallelujah. And he sees you coming from afar off. Are you hear me? Amen. But let me tell you about my God. He don't run from any problem. He don't run from any devil. He don't run from any trouble. But one thing that'll make him run is to run to a son who has been wayward and away from him and with wide arms open wide come and welcome him back home. Hallelujah. And we're not going to make a second class citizen out of you. It's redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed by His infinite mercy. His child and forever. I am. Hallelujah. And He runs to Him. And he throws his arms around him. And he welcomes him home. And he says, put a ring on his finger. Give him a place of authority. Give him my name to use. Give him authority in my kingdom. And give him a robe. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. That I robe him in righteousness. And make him my son. And he fell on his neck and kissed him and embraced him, making it clear. You can be accepted in the beloved. And he put shoes on his feet. Slaves went barefoot. But sons, he gave them dominion. And he had been keeping up a fatted calf all of this time. Every day, Father went down and fed that fatted calf. Because my son's coming home. And I'm telling you, there is a feast that has been prepared. A fatted calf that's been made ready for a welcome home for every sinner. Bring home, bring hither the fatted calf, and let's have a celebration. 
of my son, which was lost, is coming home. The Bible said there is presence, there is joy in the presence of angels. Notice this. Watch carefully what he said. It didn't even say that there was joy, that the angels were having joy. It said in the presence of angels, there was joy. Amen. Because they, the souls on the altar, they knew exactly what was going on on earth. And even the saints on the other side, they are rejoicing when a sinner. Hallelujah, your, your grandparents, or maybe your dad has passed away, or this and that's going on, or whatever else. Heaven will rejoice in the presence of angels when one sinner repents. He's saying to you tonight, child, you weren't born to be a swine feeder. You were born to be a devil defeater. You can come to yourself tonight. I want you to bow your head. Let the musicians come. He'll bring you back home. Bring you back home, oh, my children. You don't have to keep roaming. You don't have to keep wandering. You don't have to keep straying away. He's here to bring you back home. I want you to think about your life right now. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready for the meeting in the air? Are you ready to see Jesus? You got to find him in an altar before you meet him in the air. He's got to change your life. He's got to put a garment on you so you'll be fit to leave from here to go there. You can't take that dirty, sin stained garment. That's why you got to have a new robe. All that tattered there with hog food on it. It's got to be taken off and the robe of the Holy Ghost put on you. I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. I want you just to think about it just for a moment. As a musicians play that, coming home, never more to roam. What about you in your life? Are you ready to meet the Almighty God, are you tired of running? Are you tired of sin and the wages of sin? Aren't you ready to really make a surrender to God? Maybe you've started wandering. Maybe you've started wandering for a while. And you've been adrift. Oh, you say, Brother Tim, I haven't been raised in a Christian home. But have you come to him? see, you can't go in on mom and dad's experience. You've got to know Jesus yourself. I got grandchildren here, but they can't make it on papa's experience. They got to know God for themselves. There's children and grandchildren of these ministers on the platform right here, but you can't make it into heaven. On their experience. You got to know him for yourself. You see there's no grandchildren in this. He's got to become your father. Not your grandfather. The Holy Spirit calling you.
You know you need a nature change. You need that experience with God, and you're ready tonight. So it's the first night I got. That's the devil talking to you. Don't listen to him right now. You listen to my voice. And my voice says, you don't have to cross the line. Listen to my voice prophesy to you. You can be a son. Recognized as a son. The old garment of sin taken off. And the Holy Spirit be made real in your life. Would you raise your hand to God and say, Brother Tim, would you pray for me tonight? That's me. That's me. That's me. God sees you. 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 God sees these hands over here all over this building. Man, are you ready to mean business with God? He sees you. He's coming running to you. He wants to take something, make something out of your life and change you in his presence. Oh, coming.